Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about life. We're talking about what does it look like to live a creative life, to make all these ideas about game design and time management and scheduling and staying motivated, all that good stuff, and turning it into a lifestyle. We're talking to Charlie McCarran. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Gabe. Yeah, man. Really excited to have you here. Really pumped to talk about this topic. This is something that uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, figuring out a, a better way to live creatively, so to speak, and, and kind of hack your life in different ways or set yourself up for success uh, as best you can so that you can, you know, get into that rhythm, get into that flow, create really cool stuff. And uh, you've got a really interesting story that I want to uh, dive into in just a minute uh, about, you know, different creative uh, ventures that you've had, both musically and now with game design. And so I feel like there's some really cool stuff that both me and also the the people listening can kind of glean from uh, your life and your experience. But before we get into, you know, ways to live that creative life, let's kind of start maybe a little earlier than that. Tell me who you are, how you got into game design, all that kind of thing. Sure. So like a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, um, I started out playing games uh, younger when I, I was one of the biggest fans of the Star Wars customizable card game back in the day i had a really awesome ewok deck uh and so that kind of started me on the path of wanting to design games um whether they were video games i was you know the one coding on my graphing calculator in school and making these programs um and since then you know i've i've been kind of encouraged my whole life by my parents luckily who aren't necessarily like uh living a standard creative life, but they were good enough to like tell me that it's okay, you can do this. Uh, So I went to college for music and I just loved music theory classes. And I was in a band in high school and of course uh, loved like getting into the theory behind music. Um, I think it's kind of sparked my passion for game design too is like, I think of these things as solving puzzles. And game design being like, to me, the ultimate puzzle, where I'm trying to create a puzzle for someone else. And it's, yeah, I just love like playing with these ideas. So I started, you know, uh, after college, as many of us did, kind of float around, not sure where I wanted to be in life or if I wanted a job even uh, right out of college. So I instead decided to go volunteer in Tanzania and I taught some English and music and computer classes there. And um, after that, worked for a social media company in London and then did some freelance video work. Um, And finally, I'm at the point where I'm a film scorer as my my main gig these days. So this whole time it's been kind of like random side jobs. I've never had a full-time nine to five job. 
um, which looking back, I didn't think that would happen, but here I am, and I don't think I would ever actually want to go back to an office job. So that's kind of, I guess, one of my passions. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so let's jump into the whole, you know, creative lifestyle thing. Tell me about before you were able to jump into the film scoring and, and kind of live this creative thing and then eventually, you know, get into game design. Tell me about your life leading up to that. Maybe the the things that um, you were you were looking into ways, basically ways that you set yourself up to be successful uh, going forward, going into that life. So kind of tell me maybe the background, maybe some things that you were doing as far as savings, as far as like setting up your schedule in different ways, that kind of thing, uh, so that you really could make that leap and go into a more creative field. Sure. So I will preface it saying like, I am somewhat privileged in that I came out of school with not much debt and, you know, I didn't have uh, families to support. I, I still don't at this point. And I live pretty cheaply. I, you know, basically pay for travel once in a while and some musical instruments for my scoring and uh, live, you know, with other guys in the house. And, uh, you know, I don't mind that. It's um, so financially, I'm in a little bit of a privileged spot. Um, but I think there's ways you can go about it. Um, that, you know, I when I was starting out, I wasn't necessarily thinking like, uh, I'm going to just like live a creative life. I just started doing projects. And I think that's the key is just starting something and um, not really care, caring about how you're going to make money from it. That's the, that's the one thing I've learned as an artist, both in music and game design. It has to be something you're passionate about. And when you start thinking in terms of, I need to make money from this, that's when you kind of shut yourself down creatively, at least from my experience. I don't know how you feel about that, Gabe. Well, I think it's all about perspective. You know, the, the mentality I take into it is I don't do this to make money. I make money so that I can do this, right? And just kind of coming at it from, from that angle, I think is super helpful because it puts the money in the right place. Like if you want to do this as a job, then obviously you're going to need to make money, right? But it's about where where is that as a priority, versus, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to, because there's a lot of people in lots of different things, like, oh, I'm just going to go in there for the money. It's like, well, good luck to you, because typically those people don't last, right? They're, they don't right. stick around long enough to even ever make money uh, because they didn't have the passion or the energy, motivation, whatever it is, uh, to kind of carry on. But um, tell me a little right. bit about your life and just kind of, you know, as you're getting ready, right? You're thinking, okay, I want to do this. First of all, what made you want to get into film composing? And then we can talk about like how you were setting up your life so that you could actually do that as a job. Right. Yeah. And I think um, one thing to keep in mind is it's not like you necessarily have to quit your job completely. And then suddenly you're trying to, you know, make a living as a creative person. I was doing random jobs, uh, doing video, which I thought of as, you know, it's not the most exciting work, but it's providing enough that I can do half my time doing creative things. But there did come a time uh, when I was feeling like I am not using my music degree. You know, this is like seven years after college or so. 
and I just really needed a break from my regular like video work that wasn't really fulfilling. So I decided that I I had saved up enough where I could live for a year, like, you know, pretty cheaply. But it was the time to take the leap of faith. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. Um, thinking about that now, especially during coronavirus, is uh, also kind of tough. And uh, But at the same time, I, I feel like the pandemic is making people kind of rethink how they do think about work and working from home. Um, so what I did, I, I quit my um, regular video job and decided, okay, I'm going to make X minutes of music every month. And I tried that for a while, and I actually started a podcast, and that ended up being a 40-hour-a-week endeavor, um, as I'm sure you can attest to. It's a lot of work to do. Um, but I started a podcast for my music career. And since then, that has uh, launched me into meeting with lots of people and figuring out how to get these film scoring jobs. So, yeah, it's uh, not to get too far down that rabbit hole, but um, the more th the more people you can connect with and the more projects you just work on out of sheer love for the art or the game um yeah it's just the more time you put into it i think you're bound to succeed and i like to tell people like i don't think i'm necessarily more creative than anyone else it's just that i put in the time for it yeah gotcha now i've talked to several people that you know made the leap and and jumped all you know jumped all in to their creative uh, endeavor. And so all of them had a little bit different, basically parameters as far as like when to know when, you know, some people, they downsized their house. So their mortgage was a lot less, or they moved to a different city. Uh, you know, they did certain things in their lives to be able to set themselves up for success. So how did you know when, you know, you could, you could dive in? Was it like, all right, I'm going to save up when I have a year's worth of expenses saved or, or something like that, or kind of tell me the, the ideas you had, or maybe the, the, the checklist basically, so that you would know when to be able to jump in. Sure. Um, I think it was more of a gut feeling. Um, I told my friend, actually, uh, if I'm still working at 3M three years from now, just give me a kick in the rear to get me out of there. Um, <laughs> and I think that three-year mark hit, um, and I, I just had this feeling like, okay, this is time. Um, so I, I'm not sure that I necessarily set myself up other than I'm a pretty good saver in general. So I kind of had this uh, thought that, okay, I think I could do this. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who want to do this in their board game career too. And I, I remember thinking back to actually a BGDL episode with John Brieger I think he's a great example of someone who, uh, you know, launched into this as a developer and doing that full time. And I think one thing to keep in mind is maybe you're not going to make money on your own stuff, but you can live a creative life and work for someone else at the same time. So like what I'm doing in my music career, too, is I'm film scoring, 
for someone else's creative project. That's how I get paid. Um, and so there's like a gradient of like, maybe you're not going to make money on your own art project, but there's someone out there who needs help from a creative person. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I've also talked to several designers that started off in the company's warehouse. You know, they were just helping out with the shipping and the fulfillment of games. And uh, they, you know, deep down, they wanted to be a designer or they, you know, were designing games on the side, but they just wanted to get in the, into the industry in some way. And so maybe that was, you know, going to Gen Con and volunteering for a company at their booth or, you know, working in some non-design related area. I've also talked to people who were interns at, you know, different yeah. companies. And then that turned into a job. And I know you have experience with that as well. I want to talk about that. And so I think that's something else for maybe people listening is, okay, maybe design or becoming a game designer, working at a game company as a designer, maybe that's a long-term goal, but don't necessarily feel like you have to get that or nothing. Like maybe there's a way to get into one of these companies and now they know who you are. You know, they, they get to know you a little bit. They realize, oh, this, this person works really hard. And, you know, maybe you have an opportunity to sit down and, and talk to somebody at the company and say, hey, I've got these ideas. Can I get your feedback? And all of a sudden you're, you're growing in their uh, opinion of you. And then maybe, you know, maybe they say, hey, you know, I'd love to check out your prototype. And it turns into something more, maybe turns into actual design job. And I think that's another good way to approach things. Tell me about your experience. You were an intern at Fantasy Flight. And so tell yeah. me like how you got that, what you learned, maybe what other people can take away from it. Well, yeah, when you're talking about, you know, like people working random side jobs related to board game design, that made me think of Fantasy Flight because there's a cafe in, within the Fantasy Flight Game Center here in Minnesota. And I'm pretty sure that Brad Andres, who is the developer of Keyforge, I think he started out there as like, you know, working in the cafe just to have a job in proximity to cool stuff going on and then, you know, worked his way up. Um, don't quote me on that just in case that's not his story, but I, I feel like it, it maybe is. Um, but yeah, I, I interned there at Fantasy Flight a few years ago. I uh, got to work with Lucas Litzinger on Star Wars Destiny, which was like I said, I was super into Star Wars cards as a kid, so my 12-year-old self was, like, jumping for joy. And that game um, was so fun to work on because uh, it was basically me and Lucas, like, every day playing, brainstorming. And so even as an intern, you can get, like, right up close to the design. So took a lot of lessons away from that. Um, game design-wise, I think... One of the biggest things I, I learned from working on Destiny was the power of like stripping down uh, to the bare elements of the game because we that game kind of started out with like lots of phases, lots of rules uh, that you have to remember on your turn. And one day Lucas came back and suddenly he was like, okay, I think I fixed this game. And now it's like, really working and we tried it and it was more of a chess match because instead of like all these phases you had to remember you just do one thing on your turn and it's that awesome tension that comes from like you roll out your dice then they roll out their dice and you have to decide which dice to resolve before you know they kill your character um so yeah i just that that was a turning point for me in my own designs of trying to like come up with elegant gameplay 
that inspires like emergent complexity. Gotcha. Now, were you, so when you're working as an intern, were you also working full-time doing something else? Tell me a little more about that. Yeah. So that was, uh, let's see, I think I was interning, I would go in three days a week. Um, and I was doing music projects on the side, video projects on the side. Um, but yeah, there was four of us there interning and, uh, we, I, I ended up staying like, I think a month more than my internship actually was. Cause I just wanted to like see the, the first edition or the first expansion of the game through, um, until everything was approved and stuff. So, um, since then I've applied a few times, you know, I, I didn't get a job there, but I kind of realized that's okay because um, I think I'm more of a designer than a developer anyways. That's just my personal take on on uh, design is I'd, I'd rather come up with the ideas that's that kick off a project rather than um, develop more cards for an existing game. And I think that's usually who they're looking for at first. And you kind of, at Fantasy Flight, you generally um, would get hired as a developer to work on someone else's game and then eventually work your way up to being the designer once they, they you've proven yourself in that regard. Okay, cool. All right, so let's, let's switch gears just a little bit. So you make the leap. Now you're working full-time as a film uh, score and doing you know different things creatively, musically. Tell me about what's next. Like, how did you organize your life in a, in a way to get things done? Tell me, like, any time management tips you have, any scheduling things that, that you learned during that time, anything that, that listeners could take away from that and go, okay, here's some things I need to be thinking about, or here's a way that I can, you know, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of people stuck at home right now working remotely. You know, anything that you uh, learned during that time of your life, kind of early on, that, you know, other people can learn from now. Sure. So, yeah, I think it's an adjustment for sure for someone who's been in an office every day to come home and suddenly you're in the same space uh, every day for all your things. And so I think um, one of the key things you can do is separate your space into areas. So you have your bed for sleeping. Keep your work out of your bed. Don't be like checking your phone if you can. Um, set up an office area where you only do this one thing and then have like a recreation area. So like maybe the couch where you're just watching TV. And if you can like chunk that physically, it'll also help you chunk it mentally into different sections. And um, the other thing I, I like to think about during my week is there's just some days where I'm just not going to get anything done. I just know that. And I'd say, at least one out of every three days, I just have like a, a day where I just say, okay, it's okay. I'm not going to get really anything done today. And then uh, you have days where you can get everything done because you've saved up that energy. At least that's how I work. And those days I tell myself, okay, I'm I'm not going to say no to anything. It's It's hard, but if you get in the right mode, and you feel like you're checking off all the boxes, you just say, okay, this is the non-procrastination day. 
And um, some things I do on that day, if I know that kind of a day is there, I'll start a big list of tasks and estimate how long each task will take. And so I'll say 30 minutes for this, 60 minutes for this, and I'll start a timer for each of them. And when the timer hits, um, then I stop what I'm doing on that and move on to the next thing. Um, I might snooze it a little bit, but just having that timer there adds this extra tension. And maybe it's the gamer in me that's like, ah, yes, I want to get this task done before the time runs out. Yeah, that's really cool because you're basically like gamifying the the process, right? And I think also, you know, something I've talked about so many times on the show is you, you're giving yourself a deadline and it could be challenging to hold yourself to a deadline. Obviously, you know, outer deadlines are easier if someone else is counting on you or, or if you're, there's a game design contest or you have to turn in something by a certain date. That's obviously going to be a little bit more of a motivator. But if you can do anything internally as well to kind of create deadlines, that that goes a long way. Uh, you mentioned location. I think this is a wonderful thing for people to be aware of. You know, it's it's kind of thing you don't want to mix uh, too many tasks in the same location, right? That's why they tell you when you're in high school or college, don't study in your bed, right? Because your bed, that's where you sleep. And so if you sit down to study in bed, you're probably going to fall asleep and not actually get any studying done. And so if you can create a space, I know some writers, some you know creative people, they'll they have their favorite coffee shop. And so their brain knows as soon as they walk in that coffee shop, as soon as they smell it, as soon as they're in that that vibe of a place, then the brain knows, okay, this is where I do creative work. This is where I write. This is where I, I work on whatever it is I, I've got going on. And so they they put their their brains into that mode with a, with a trigger, right? And so you kind of create triggers with different actions. This is like uh, baseball players. You know, they do this a lot when they're going up to bat. They have their routine. They have the, the way that they you know put their gloves on. Uh, you know, knock the dust or the dirt off their their cleats. Like they go through this routine, and that gets them into the the vibe or the into the mindset of okay, I'm about to you know go up to the, go up to the bat and get a hit. And so, what can you do creatively to put your brain into that kind of a state, right, where it knows, all right, when I when I do this thing, when I go through this routine, when I go to this place, whatever it is, it triggers in your brain. Okay, this is where creative work happens. I think that is so so valuable, and I know it's tough right now because a lot of people are stuck at home. You're, you're not supposed to go out and do certain things, you know, and hopefully that changes before uh, too long. But tell me a little more. So we talked about time management a little bit. What I found personally is that it's not about time management as much as it's about self management. I can't, I can't control time. I can't manage it. I can't put time in my pocket. I can't make a day go faster or slower, but I can control myself. I can control my behaviors and my habits. So what have you found personally as far as that kind of idea goes of self-management? What are some things maybe that you you made mistakes or you had to learn from, but what, were some, what are some ways that you kind of manage yourself to get more done? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, I, I will refer people to a really good video I found that's called Lockdown Productivity Space Station U. So it's a really great animation where this guy's talking about basically what I was saying earlier about how sectioning off your life into a few different areas, um, your working location. But the other thing is like, okay, we're all in these little space station pods out in space right now. And the idea is that you have one mission and that's to be better at something than you were before when we all get to come back together and have kind of a normal life again. And the other thing that is talked about in that video is you have 
your core engine, and there's two parts to your core as a person. It's your emotional, mental health, and your physical health. And so the if you need to like spin up your engine because it's like drained, you're feeling really down. Often the only way to do that at first is the physical side. So getting out, exercising. Um, and once that's spinning, they kind of work together. Both the mental and physical sides um, will feel better from that. But yeah, the, me the mental health side for sure is something I think about a lot. Um, because I had uh, an experience a few years ago that I had never had in my life before. Of um, I was actually driving down to Protospiel, Omaha, and I was staying up late every night getting my prototype ready, um, getting no sleep at all. And I, I started out driving the morning to get to Omaha. It's like a six-hour drive from my house. And I was just not in any good state to be driving. Um, super tired. And I stopped at a gas station, grabbed a five-hour energy, because I was like, well, there's five hours left in this drive. This will work. Uh, but the problem is I never drink any caffeine. So suddenly I'm having this five-hour energy. My heart is racing. I'm driving down there. And I just had a nervous breakdown, basically. And I had to stop at a hotel. And it was the first time I felt like my I was out of control of my own um, mind. And so I, I from that experience, uh, realized that, you know, therapy is a good thing. I will put a plug in for that. Because especially during this time when everyone's separated, uh, don't be afraid to reach out to a therapist because, you know, it's it's something that um, as a independent and competitive person, as a gamer, you don't want to admit that something's wrong. Um, oftentimes, yeah, you want to feel like you're in control, but sometimes you just have to admit that you need help. So that's that's all I want to say about that section but um i think yeah mental health sometimes you get stuck in at least i do i get stuck in thinking of uh, game ideas and i get so excited about that i almost get into a manic state or something and sometimes you just need to like say okay nope it's time for bed and maybe i'm going to take one of these off days like i have said before like Give yourself a mental break, um, especially if you're trying to do game design, launch into a full-time career. You're going to need to have some balance in your life. Yeah, for sure. And I want to talk a little more about that in a minute when we you know, talk about scheduling and, and ways to kind of manage your, your week and do things. But I, I want to kind of harp on what you were just saying and I totally agree. Uh, therapy cannot be uh, overstated. Uh, I mean, it's just an incredible thing, especially if you're going through a difficult time, a time where you maybe feel isolated or maybe you feel like, you know, you haven't earned what you got. I know a lot of people in creative fields had the uh, imposter syndrome and you just feel like everything you do is not good enough. And that's, that's a difficult thing. And so having someone else 
either someone you pay or just someone you really, really trust that'll be honest with you and kind of shoot straight with you. Um, but having somebody in your life that you can work out issues, find solutions to whatever you're dealing with, unpack things that are maybe kind of repressed or, or pushed down. I know, you know, I have a tendency personally just to, to go work and not deal with things that I probably need to deal with, you know, emotional things. I'm like, no, I'll just, I'll just pretend like that's fine. And I'm going to go over here and work, you know, 80 hours this week and not have to deal with that other thing. And so I can kind of, you know, turn my brain off to things that aren't necessarily healthy to turn off to. And so, yeah, in in my past, I went through some really tough stuff uh, at one point in life and uh, I had to just take a huge step back and and, and stop working so much and and seek out some counsel and some guidance and, and just talk to people that Uh, loved me and trust that I trusted. And they were, you know, I was able to kind of work through a lot of stuff and it was super helpful. And it actually ended up in the long term making me even more productive and have a much, much better life. And I think that's another thing. A lot of times we feel like I can't stop. I can't slow down because then I'll get behind or then I'll, you know, too much stuff will pile up when it's actually, you know, you have diminishing returns. It's kind of like if you go into the the gym, if you go to the weight room and you just keep working out, you know, and I spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in the, in the weight room or on the treadmill or whatever, you're actually doing harm to your body. You're actually going to break it down and make things worse. And so I think the same, same thing can be said with therapy. If you keep just, you know, avoiding, 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 uh, eventually you get a lot of diminishing returns where you actually end up worse off than you would have had you taken a step back, sought out somebody to kind of help you work through something. Um, and then also yeah. with five hour energy, uh, I had a good friend. He had a, kind of a similar uh, experience with five hour, five hour energy that you did where he was like hallucinating and seeing crazy stuff and oh, like no. end up under his bed, like freaking out. And so I don't know what's in that junk, man. I, yeah. I've never personally taken it. don't know that I will. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but I don't recommend it. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Gabe, I'd love to ask you too about like, so you've been working on this journey to like go full time into game the game world um yeah what what have you found so far right and so actually let's kind of go into schedule uh, as far as that stuff goes the schedule cannot i mean it's so important like i don't think you can talk enough about how important it is to really tell your time where to go right as opposed to letting it dictate to you i mean life will easily fill up if you allow it to uh, if you're not being very intentional about time for yourself, you know, taking the step back and taking those mental health days if you need them, time for your family, uh, whether it's your, your spouse or your extended family, your kids, whoever, uh, time that you're going to devote to, in our cases, you know, creativity and, and design and working on different things and really even scheduling that time as well has been so important. Uh, it's been tough through the coronavirus because it's been a lot more difficult. Everybody's at home. You know, it's hard mm-hmm. to schedule these things. My kids see me on the couch and they're like, oh, dad's here. And so let's let's go hang out with him. And it's like, yeah, but I'm working. It's just this really weird dynamic going on uh, at home. I think having a space, having if you have an office or if you even just have somewhere you can go um, to do things that way, you know, you can kind of schedule and say, all right, when dad is in this place, then, you know, my kids know, okay, avoid, don't, don't talk to him right now. He's working. He'll, he'll be out in a few hours and then we can go, you know, jump on the trampoline or something like that. Uh, a friend of mine, he actually has this, um, this, uh, wireless light that sits right outside his office. And when that light is red, he's got like a little thing on his phone. He can change the colors of the light. And when that light is red, everyone else in the house knows, okay, don't go mess with him. He's in a meeting. He's busy. Don't walk in there because you know, he's on the air, so to speak, you know, think about the old school radio, they have like the on air signs. And, and so doing little things like that, I feel like, uh, really help and then getting everybody in the house on the same page. You know, this is a team game uh, going full time in, in board game uh, design or the board gaming industry in my case is, is not a solo deal. It's, it's very much 
uh, a team game involving my, my wife, involving my kids and everybody kind of working together to uh, make this whole thing successful. And so that, that's kind of where I would start. And there's a million other things. Uh, what have you found with, as far as your schedule, uh, figuring out, you know, the best time to be creative? You know, some people, they get up early in the morning. Some people go to bed you know late at night and they find different times that they're more energetic or, or more creative. Uh, tell me a little more about your schedule, maybe some things that, that you're doing or you've done to set yourself up for success. Yeah. So I'm not by nature a very like organized person. I actually like having days where I don't know what I'm going to do today. And um, I, th- I personally, I find that method okay because um, granted, I I do have these days where I don't end up doing much of anything but i think like as a creative person you kind of build up energy on those days um one thing i have been thinking about too is like it's it's very easy to feel like you're in a routine a slog of i'm doing the same thing every day um so what i've been doing uh as of last month I've been trying a a project where I do one new thing every day and I have a spreadsheet and I write down what that thing is. And it might be something very small, like um, going out and picking mulberries or like doing a charcoal drawing. I hadn't done that before. Um, Or putting my game on tabletop simulator. So that was one of my days. And I think just like having something to look forward to and like check off even if it's a small thing i I would say that's that's huge and like that one thing could lead you into a better mental state to do the actual work projects that you maybe have to get done um i i tend to have a problem and i'm sure many other people do where it's like you see the shiny project you want to work on and i'll go to that and I think that is okay too. Like you have to, life's only so short, only so long. Um, so, you know, working on what you are most passionate on is really important to me. And um, the things I don't want to work on, like you were saying, I think it's very helpful to have other people involved. Like, not that I don't like working on other people's projects, but there's that extra spark of like oh okay uh maybe if it's not it's not my own personal vision maybe but i know i'm held accountable by someone else so i think what you do with bgdl community on facebook is awesome where you say you know what are you going to accomplish this week um and i think i've heard you say it on the show too where it's like if you uh say it out loud to someone you're way more likely to actually do it. So maybe try to find a friend or someone who you can be like a creative partner with and uh, hold your hold each other accountable. Um, actually, an- another plug for um, Carla Kopp, who does weird draft games, and she does like three web streams a week um, just of people giving game design tips and then we have like a Wednesday accountability session she calls it so we all come together and talk about what we've done uh, during the week and you know what we're going to do next week 
So Carla's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I'm a big fan of Carla, and she's doing some amazing work in the board game industry in general, but especially with designers and just you know bringing people to the table. Uh, and yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. It's it's about figuring out what works really well for you. And then, and then doing that. But at the same time, sometimes realizing you, you need to take a step back to be able to take five steps forward, right? And, and kind of assessing uh, the balance of your life. That's something you and I were talking about before we started recording is, you know, figuring out what balance works for you. And I wish people had a better understanding of balance. Not that my way is the best way or anything like that. It's just a way that really works for me. But a lot of people, they think of balance as 50-50. It's like, okay, I'm, I spend 10 hours at my job. I need to spend 10 hours at home with my family. And it's like, okay, maybe, maybe that works for you. <laughs> But I always think of it as like a like a ballerina. You know, if you if you ever go to uh, to a ballet and you watch from a distance, you know, you see the people on stage, you see the ballerina up there, and she's on that that toe. She's like perfectly balanced, you know, up in the air. And from a distance, it's like wow, she is just perfect in in state, right? She is just not going left or right, front or back. Like she is just a, in a perfect state of balance. But if you're close, if you're up on the front row, what you notice is that that's not true you see all the little minor adjustments that she's making to stay balanced. She's doing little things here and there, flexing different muscles here and there to stay upright, to stay up on that toe. And from a distance, it looks like she's perfectly balanced, but then you notice up close, okay, no, she's making tons of adjustments to make this work. And I I feel like that's how life really is. You know, some some weeks it's 60-40, some weeks it's 90-10, you know, whatever you're working on, if you, you know, a deadline's coming up. Uh, you got to kind of like with video games, you have that crunch there at the end where it's like, all right, guys, you're going to sleep underneath your desk to get this stuff done. And that's not necessarily healthy. I'm not promoting that, but I'm saying sometimes in life, that's just the way things go, that things aren't 50-50. Sometimes it's 60-40, it, it just depends on the week. That's another reason why it's so good to have uh, people in your household that are on your team that understand, you know, oh, you know, he or she, you know, you're not there uh, as many hours this week, but it's because you have a, a game coming up or a Kickstarter campaign you're about to launch. So you're, you're working 14, 16 hour days trying to get all that stuff ready. And that's the way it goes sometimes. But then also coming back to the other way and saying, okay, yeah, but as soon as this Kickstarter campaign is done, don't worry, kids, we're going to Disney World, you know, or something like mm-hmm. that to kind of find that balance. But again, it's not 50-50. It's about what, what works right now based on the other things going on in life, the other context. Have you... Have you found yourself kind of in that mode as well? It's like, all right, this week is going to be crazy. I'm going to be working 80 hours this week on this this stuff. But then next week, I'm going to pull that back. I'm only going to work 20 hours next week and kind of figuring out a, a good, healthy place to be. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, something I still, um, you know, I will have a deadline for a film. And I never realized it, but somehow I've like scored the whole film in two weeks or so. So it's, yeah, it's a weird type of crunch, but I think when you get in that mode, um, it just feels so good. You're, you're in the flow state and when you're, when you're in that kind of state, like that's, that's the best place to be, I think. Um, yeah, I, uh, I like your ballerina analogy. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure I stole that from someone a lot smarter than me. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know where I got that from, but it, it's it just makes sense. And I remember whenever I heard it, I was like, "Yeah, that's that's it, for sure." Uh, all right, let's switch gears just a little bit. Let's kind of go back into the mental health side of things. You mentioned that a little bit. Let's talk about the ego 
Uh, that's something else we were talking about before the show and how ego plays into things. You had this really interesting Bob Ross versus Judge Judy kind of mental gymnastics thing yes. that, you know, you, you had some really cool ideas on. So tell me more about ego and, and kind of how you keep Bob and Judy figured out. Yeah. So I, I think about when I'm in creative mindset in my brain, there's kind of like two, I don't literally hear these voices. I just love the image of Bob Ross on one side, who's telling you, there's no mistakes. We'll just make them into little trees and birds and stuff. Um, and then there's the other side that's Judge Judy, who uh, there's a great, great quote from her that's like, my only goal is to make you look stupid in front of 10 million people on TV. Um, so I think the balance between those two sides of your brain is really the key to creating. Um, when you're first starting a project, you need a lot of Bob Ross. You need to be able to throw ideas out there, however silly they are. That's the the brainstorming mode where, you, you know, they, they say when you're brainstorming in a group, no one is allowed to say, that's not a good idea. Um, you just put the idea on the, the whiteboard and come back to it later, maybe. And that's how I think the ideal scenario is you get those ideas out there and then the judge Judy comes in to help filter and see like, well, is this actually a good idea for the game? Um, but I think in the game world, the, the great thing is that when you bring your game to the table, you're going to have some Bob Rosses there, but mostly judge Judy's as play testers. Um, they're the ones who are going to help you like, realize, okay, well, maybe this game doesn't make sense anywhere outside my head. Um, so something to think about when you're creating your game. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I think it's also important to realize that both are necessary. You know, it's, it's good to have a little bit of Bob Ross and a, good, a little bit of Judge Judy in there and, and trying to figure out and, and you don't want to be too far down the road for either one, right? You don't want to be too Judge Judy where you're just like, oh, this is all terrible and this is all dumb and all stupid. But at the same time, you don't want to be Bob Ross where everything is a happy little tree uh, and, and everything is fine. Everything is wonderful because that's also not true. And so again, we're back to figuring out the balance and it's not 50-50. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be different depending on the situation, depending on the game, uh, depending on kind of where you are mentally, like what headspace you're in. And I think it's yeah. so important. Like this is such an interesting thing to think about long term, like I would love to interview some of the great creative people of all time, you know, whether it's Beethoven or uh, Tolkien, Hemingway, you know, some of these great artists and paint uh, artists and writers and musicians and things like that, and just kind of get a feel for where they started and kind of how they balanced Bob and Judy throughout their their lives, throughout their careers, and to kind of get a sense of how things changed. Because I wonder, you know, how things ebbed and flowed as they got better at what they're doing? Did they realize they were getting better? Did they realize they were becoming, you know, one of the greatest painters of all time, one of the greatest musicians, whatever? Um, yeah. It's something interesting to kind of think about because as you age, your mindset changes, you know, you, you see yourself differently and sometimes that's better and sometimes it's worse. Um, it's just interesting to think about anything else as far as the ego or kind of maintaining your, yeah. your mental health. Yeah, I think so. As you were saying that it, it made me think like, so there is a Bob Ross and a Judge Judy in your brain, but there's also another voice that is observing both of them 
Um, and if you can get to that point, that is like enlightenment <laughs> right there. Because uh, I think a lot of creative people over time, like Beethoven, and I, I don't know how much they really thought about how they were thinking. Maybe they, maybe they did. They're probably pretty creative and fascinating people. But maybe some artists get in this track where they're just making the art and not really thinking too much about their thinking. But I think like being able to notice when your thoughts are positive or negative, it goes back to that mental health thing. If you can notice that you have a negative thought, for example, imposter syndrome, um, maybe you have a thought like, oh, no one's going to like this game. I don't know what I'm doing. All The only way around that is to notice that thought from a distance and say, wait, why did I have that thought? Um, and it, I don't know if any of the listeners have heard of Eckhart Tolle, but I definitely recommend checking out his book, A New Earth. Uh, it sounds very new agey, but it's like just a very good life lesson in general about how the ego is the part of you that's kind of unconsciously um, putting you on a, a, a train of thought. Like, no matter what that train of thought is, you're still kind of unconscious to it unless you're able to observe those thoughts. So, like, um, if you're in game design mode, you're coming up with all these great strategies, uh, sometimes you need to step back and um, think about like, okay, uh, where are these, where is this train of thought going? And especially if it's a negative sort of train of thought, stepping back. Um, and yeah, I think uh, in terms of ego, that's one other thing that I've learned for sure as a film composer is how to make a piece of art, but be totally okay if someone says, this is not going to work, we have to throw it away. And I think that's helped me in my game prototyping a lot. I'll, I'll bring my prototype to the table. And if it's not feeling fun to me, or if people aren't getting it, I'm okay with throwing that idea away and starting from scratch. And I know there's also something to be said for persistence and like revamping, making something better. But I think it's good to get in the habit of just throwing that idea out and starting from scratch. And I think people who are so laser focused on one particular game are missing out on like a whole spectrum of fun and game design. Absolutely. And I think this is also a really good place to talk about, again, how important it is to have people around you that you trust and will tell you the truth. Because if you ever get in that place where you're doubting yourself, you're not sure, you know, the imposter syndrome, whatever, about something you're working on, to have someone just to bounce the ideas off of and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I've got. Here's what how it looks or how it plays, whatever. And for them to give you an honest answer. And not in a critical, overly critical way, I guess, or a way that you know kind of hurts your feelings or anything, but just in a way that says, this is the truth. And for you to take that information and then process it and then go from there. And it's also a place where if you don't think it's any good, 
ask somebody else that you trust that will tell you the truth. And if they say, yeah, I don't think this is very good. Like, okay, cool. But at the same time, maybe you're just inside your own head a little bit too much. Maybe it is a good idea. Maybe it is something that has, has a spark, has something that they can turn into something better, uh, bigger or, or better. Uh, you know, it's, it's so nice to have people around you that will just tell you the truth. I've got some really good friends who are, you know, creative people. And when they do something creative, they'll send it to me and say, Hey, what do you think about this? How does this sound? What do you think? And I go, ah, well, okay, here's my honest feedback. And then vice versa. And it's so wonderful because it's yeah. not coming from a place of um, criticism. It's just coming from a place of gut feeling and honesty and, and working together to help each other create the best thing that we're working on. I think this is yeah. why co-designs can be really good or working with publishers can be really good because you have that sounding board of other people in the room to know you're not crazy or to know that the thing you think is amazing is actually not very good or it's actually already been done before. So important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have my list of friends who are the most critical um, and they always get sent my stuff first because I know they're going to give me their like unadulterated um, reaction to everything, whether that's like my game art or game ideas. I, I love having them around the prototype table even as painful as it is sometimes, but if you know you can please the most critical friends, then you're onto something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk more about game design and maybe the things that you took from you know setting up this creative lifestyle for music and then transitioning over into the new hobby of game design and working on that. And you've been a finalist in the Cardboard Edison Award uh, two years in a row now, and congrats on that. You've got a, a game on Kickstarter right now. And so you've really jumped in into this side of things. And, and this isn't, uh, it's not your full-time job. It's not to that level yet, but now you're starting to figure things out, you know, from a game design standpoint. So tell me what you learned in kind of traveling the creative life, creative road with music. And now you're going down the, the game design path. Tell me the things you, you picked up, you learned, you're doing differently, any of those things. Yeah. So I guess I could start out by saying I was a pretty shy person growing up. Like all the way through high school and college kind of changed that for me. I started like opening up a little more and traveling more and just getting more experiences in. And the thing that I noticed is the more that I would go to these events for music stuff or film stuff, whatever I was passionate about, the more I would connect with people, the more opportunities came up. And I've applied that to the game game design world for sure, because as soon as I found out about Protospiel, I was in the door and yes, these are my people. Um, and, you know, I try to set myself up uh, to be helpful to other people. That's the other thing I've learned from being in the film scoring world is people just like to work with you if you're friendly and helpful and not necessarily like asking for a job right away. They want to be friends with you first and then you're going to just have a better working relationship in general. Um, so that's kind of how I approached like going to these uh, prototype events and at, at um, Protospiel January 2019 was when I first uh, brought my uh, prototype for Four Humors, uh, my game that I've been working on. And it was that weekend that uh, I met Adam Rayberg here in Minnesota, who runs Adam's Apple Games. 
and he sat down and played Four Humors. It was the last day uh, of Protospiel, like five o'clock on a Sunday. He had very low expectations because I had like literally just scribbled a map together uh, <laughs> that night. And um, it sold the game, though, to him. And I like, yeah, I'm, I'm wor- loving working with Adam. He's giving me a lot of creative control. Great guy to work with. Um, so I'm excited that Four Humors is like going to be a real thing here pretty soon. So very cool. And you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Adam. He's one of my favorite people in the gaming industry. Wonderful game designer. Awesome publisher. But you bring up a really good point with this as far as the network. You know, we've already talked about surrounding yourself with people. You know, you can bounce ideas off of and whatnot. But it, again, I want, just want to reiterate how important it is to create a network. And that's one thing I love about the Board Game Design Lab community. You know, over on Facebook, you can go in there, ask questions. People give you feedback and, and you can help them with their games. It's just a wonderful, awesome community. But if you think about, you know, again, going back to J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, he had C.S. Lewis. You know, they were in this group together. The, I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, they, they worked together on these stories. No wonder Lord of the Rings was so good. No wonder uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia was so good. You had these two guys working together, you know, bouncing ideas off each other and, and editing each other's stuff and, and writing and, and all that kind of thing. And so no wonder they, they turned out to, to write some of the greatest, you know, literature of all time. And so what does it look like for, for a designer to go to protospiels, to go to unpubs, to go get online and get, you know, become part of these communities to help other designers with their rule books or with their Kickstarter campaigns and giving feedback and all that. I mean, I think it is invaluable the, the network, not only in your, like in your case, where you might run into an, a, pub, a person that actually wants to publish your game. I mean, that happens all the time, but also just to, to learn, to grow, to become a better designer. You know, things don't typically go very well in isolation. You know, if, if you just hand somebody some cubes and some dice and throw them out in the middle of nowhere and say, hey, good luck, they're probably not going to come up with as good of ideas or as good of games like they would if you put them in a room full of other people thinking about design, thinking about creativity, where they could talk to them, learn from them, get to know them. That kind of thing. Yeah, and so I think it's sure. so, so important. Any other uh, suggestions from you as far as networking uh, or anything else? Um, yeah, I guess uh, having um, a business card is good. Like maybe people don't think about that at Protospiel, but I bring my business cards that I've printed up for my music career, but um, people, you know, want to connect with you even if maybe it's play testers who will help you out down the road i think a lot of times designers just have their game and they're so focused on the game they don't think about okay who are the people that i'm actually meeting because they're the ones who are gonna eventually support me on kickstarter or whatever it is um yeah so think about that as you're going to conventions and stuff and and maybe not that you're trying to make a sale when you're playing the game. You're just trying to make a friend. And, you know, I I do as much as I love and hate Facebook. Uh, it is essential to me as a freelancer. That's where I connect with everybody who ends up hiring me for film scoring gigs. And so I'd say don't be afraid to, like, friend people on Facebook and whatever social media you're using um, because that's how like logistically 
it's like the easiest way to connect with people and promote your game. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to go about it. I would preface it with saying if you do send someone a friend request and, and there's a chance they don't remember you or recognize you or know who you are, make sure you send them a message to say, hey, we met at Unpub. Really appreciate playing you playing my game. I really enjoyed your game named this, whatever it is, to let totally. them, like to jog their memory. I get so many friend requests from people. I have no idea who they are. And I don't remember, did I meet you somewhere? <laughs> did we have a conversation? Like I meet so many people. I talk to so many people. And so sometimes it's hard to remember. So if you want to become friends, send them a message. Uh, and if you don't know them at all, maybe just say, Hey, you know, just trying to network and, and also be okay. If they decline, that's also okay. Like it's don't take it as a indictment on your character or you as an individual human, just realize that, you know, maybe people don't want to have 5,000 Facebook friends. Uh, yeah. and you also bring up a really good other point and it's the, do you want to design a game or you, do you want to become a game designer? Because if you're just trying to design a game, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but, you're probably thinking very, very differently than if you want to become a game designer. If you're just designing a game, you might end up being a little too pushy because that's that's your one thing. You know, you're you're a car salesman with only one car to sell, and so you might end up, you know, thinking about things differently or, or you know, kind of the way you approach things. But if you want to be a game designer, that's a very different mindset. And I think it's important early on to really determine what do you want to do, who do you want to be, what are you trying to accomplish, and there's no wrong answer. If you want to design a game and that be it, awesome. If you want to become a game designer. Awesome as well, but there's going to come, there's going to be different, uh, a different mentality that goes along with those things. Well, Charlie, man, this has been awesome. Do you have any you know, closing thoughts, anything you want to leave listeners with anything? Uh, if somebody's listening to this and they're trying to figure out how do I live a creative life? What do you tell them? Go for it. <laughs> yeah. I think if anything, uh, this pandemic has made me feel even more like, why not do the thing that you really love? And obviously, like, there's some privilege in saying that, but even if you start small and gradually build your way up to just doing more of what you love, um, yeah, don't don't waste your time with uh, things that are weighing you down if you can help it. Yeah, that reminds me of Jim Carrey. You know, he I saw him do an interview a long time ago. And they were asking him, you know, why, why did you become a comic? Why did you want to get into comedy? And he started talking about his dad and he said, you know, my dad wanted to be a comic. He loved telling jokes. He was a great storyteller, but he didn't think you could make any money doing it. And so even though he loved it, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go work in this factory instead because that's a safer route. That's a safer job, safer path. And then years later, he got fired. He got laid off, um, you know, lost that job. Family went through a really tough time. And Jim Carrey talked about how, in that moment, he realized, you know, you can you can fail doing the thing you hate. You can lose the job. You can lose the safe job. You can fail at the job that's safe. And so, why don't I try comedy? I, I'm I'm passionate about it. Let me let me do that. If I'm going to fail, let me at least fail doing something I love. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at yeah. the world. You know, success or failure could happen no matter which path you take. So why not take something you know, that does have a higher chance of failure? Let's not you know yeah. mince words about that. There's that much greater chance that, that you you will fail, but at least you'll be doing something or pursuing something worthwhile to you, you know, to you, something you're excited about, something that gets you up yeah. in the morning. And one other, well, one other thought on that too. Um, Jim Carrey is a great example because now he's launched an art career. Um, and yeah, I, I think like that mentality of 
I'm going to fail. It's not going to be as good because all of us have played some really good games. It's not your game. You have to work through lots of bad games before you can get to the level of the game you really love. So, yeah, stick with it. And, yeah, we're all here to help you out. Definitely. Well, Charlie, you got a game on Kickstarter right now. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, Four Humors. I've had this theme in my head for at least four years. Uh, some Sometime along the line, I thought, well, what would a medieval pharmacy look like? It would have probably some yellow bile, black bile, blood, and phlegm, because those are the Four Humors. And so I've I tried like speaking of bad games, I tried at least like five different iterations of this game before I came up with the the current one. And uh what you're doing in the game, you're changing the personalities of the citizens in the kingdom. And so it's a little bit of a worker placement and area control where instead of placing workers, um you're placing humor tokens on the bellies of characters that are already printed on all these location cards. Um, So each of the characters, like knights, nobles, sorcerers, peasants, nuns, and bards, they all have split personalities, as in uh, the knight might be choleric, meaning he has too much yellow bile and he's aggressive, or he might be phlegmatic, which is the uh, submissive patient personality. So when you're placing your token, um, you place it face down. Uh, let's say I have a choleric yellow token, yellow bile token. I place it on the knight, and that changes the knight to be aggressive. But the thing is, no one else knows for sure what you put down. And so there's these prisoner's dilemma scenarios playing out on every card and um it would make more sense if you looked at a picture uh but (laughs) the the main idea i wanted to get at and that seemed to really click with this version is i wanted to have like um a very simple resolution of what personalities would win the card that brought out the 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 uh thematic element too with like very simple cards, no, no text really. Um, so, what you would, what you do is, um, when everyone's placed their tokens on the card, you flip them over to see who wins. And it starts with the hierarchy with the yellow clerics because they're the most aggressive. They're on top. They'll win if there's only one yellow on the card. But if there's two or more. Um, they all kill each other. Um, and then you move down to the sanguines, who are the extroverts. And they will win if there are two or more sanguines on the card, because they want a friend. And so there's a little element of, like, you want to work together with someone because you could both benefit, uh, but you can never 100% trust them. Um, so that's where this uh, prisoner's el- dilemma element comes in. Um, but it's, it's more than the prisoner's dilemma because, uh, there's four location cards at one time. If it was just a simple prisoner's dilemma, it would be like the most boring game ever, but, but 
it's more about where do you use your um, tokens and a little bit of like hand management of deciding, ooh, do I want to go to the the dungeon or do I go to the Royal Latrine or the Wheelbarrow of the Dead? Um, there's a lot of like Monty Python references throughout. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get the game out there to people. Awesome. Well, Charlie, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with Kickstarter and Four Humors and everything else you got going on right now. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Gabe. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?